Okay, this is part D, chapter 4 of Revelation. After this I looked, and there in heaven a door stood open, and the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there in heaven stood a throne, with one seated on the throne. And the one seated there looks like jasper and carnelian, and around the throne is a rainbow that looks like an emerald. Okay, so the setting is... The Holy of Holies in the Heavenly Temple. It's the throne room of God, right? There's someone on the throne. There we are. Why is, it a, why is there a rainbow? Well, uh, this is Ezekiel's vision. There's a bow there because the cloud of God's glory, the Holy Spirit, the Shekinah. Right? Verse 4. Around the throne are 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones are 24 elders, dressed in white robes, with golden crowns on their heads. Okay, who are these 24? Well, there were 24 courses or quorums of the Levitical priesthood in the first temple. They were, they were there in the earthly temple serving God's, you know, serving God's imitation house, right? Well, now they're represented in the heavenly temple, so these are priests, right? And Joseph Smith says this in, in section uh, 77, where to understand these elders whom John saw were elders who had been faithful in the work of the ministry and who were dead, and who belonged to the seven churches and were in the paradise of God. So they're priests. Also, also, talk about multivalent symbols. Um, there was there was anywhere between twelve, typically twelve or twenty-four, members of a chorus for a Greek drama. So these these guys are going to act as the chorus. So you can imagine this this being uh, acted out. And because from time to time, what's the chorus going to do? What does the, what does the chorus do? It sings, right? This, these twenty-four are going to sing uh, for us multiple times, right? And then verse 5, coming from the throne are flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and in front of the throne burn seven flaming torches, which are the seven spirits of God. And in front of the throne there is something like a sea of glass, like crystal. See, this is Ezekiel's vision, right? Um, what, is the, what is the sea of glass in, in, in DNC 77? It's the earth in its sanctified, immortal, and eternal state. So this is the heavenly realm. Okay. Um, this is still verse 6. Around the throne uh, and on each side of the throne are four living creatures. Okay, these are zone. These are living beings. They're, it might be better to say that they're souls even, right? Uh, zone just means alives. They're, they're, they're lives. <laughs> souls, right? Uh, but they're not your ordinary souls. They're full of eyes in front of back. Verse 7. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with a face like a human, and the fourth living creature like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and inside, day and night without ceasing, uh, they sing. Uh, so the interpretation of these eyes we're going to find in 77 is, is the ability to, to obtain knowledge, right? It's knowledge. Um, let's see, carrying on with verse 8. What do they sing? They sing, Holy, 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 the Lord, the, the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. So this is the Father. They're praising the Father. And depending on how you interpret Almighty, the original meaning of, of Almighty, that's Shaddai, uh, that's Heavenly Mother. Um, in Greek, though, it's Pantocrator. I don't know if that, if the, if the specific knowledge of that term being related to Heavenly Mother uh, persisted into the church or not. Um, but verse nine. 
And whenever the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to the one who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall before the one who is seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, singing, because they're a good chorus, right? Singing verse 11, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will, they existed and were created. Right? So, so these, these beasts, as KJV calls them in Revelation, are the living, living creatures, the, the living beings, or the, the, the chayot in Ezekiel's vision, um, which is the, the living one or the living, or the source of life or something like that. The lives. Um, so, uh, now in section 77, uh, Joseph was asked what what the beasts represent. And, and he says that they represent, that they're expressions used by the Revelator John in describing heaven, the paradise of God, the happiness of man and of beasts and of creeping things and of the fowls of the air and every other creature which God has created. So in other words, they represent the resurrection and eternal life of all creation is what it sounds like to me. That's, that's the way I would digest that if it's possible. Happiness, resurrection, eternal life, of all creation is what these beasts symbolize. And, and again, we don't have to nail it down to one specific thing, but but as a as it's a, like a little starting point for that, what these beasts represent. Chapter five. Then I saw the right hand of the one seated on the throne, in the right hand of the one seated on the throne, a scroll written on the inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or in earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep bitterly, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals." Okay, well, what's this about sealing documents? Why does, someone, why does someone have to be worthy to open a sealed document? Why was it sealed in the first place? Well, these would be contracts, usually. Um, and, and God makes contracts with us, right? Anciently, these were, these were viewed as written documents. God's covenant with us was a written document that a person could read. Uh, well, a prophet could read, like Lehi or Jeremiah. They'd be given books right, to read, Um John's actually going to be given a book to eat, which is a slight variation on the theme. But, but typically, there'd be a public copy of a document like this and one that was sealed, sealed so that nobody could alter it. Right? It could only be opened um, by or before a person with the right authority, like a judge with both parties present. Right? So that if one party said, well, the other person has broken the contract or altered the, the, the public copy, um, or if the time for the contract was, you know, was up to be, you know, the, the term, the, the time it expired is time to enact whatever stipulations were there. Uh, this is why they were sealed, right? So they couldn't be messed with until the right time before the proper authority. And this is why you had to have, the, the, you had to be worthy, you had to be, uh, have standing to, uh, uh, to, to open it, right? So, so seven seals is like super formal. In Roman society, uh, the the most uh, the, the most um, formal kind of document, like like a document that certifies someone's Roman citizenship. By, by the way, that's that's called a diploma, right? A diploma is the document that says, "Yep, 
actually a citizen, that had to be sealed with the seals of seven Roman citizens that were already already citizens, usually prominent ones. So this was like a, the utmost formality. So who is worthy to open God's contract with humanity? Well, it's Christ, of course. Um, now, uh, chapter 77, or section 77 says the book represents uh, that it contains the, the revealed will, mysteries, and works of God, the hidden things of his economy concerning this earth during the 7,000 years of its continuance or its temporal existence, right? Uh, so it's the, it's the plan, it's the mysteries, it's the revealed will, it's his will, it's what's supposed to happen, right? His economy, his, his household uh, is the way that that originally uh, would have been understood. And, and many scholars describe this book as a ketubah, a marriage contract, as, as a specific example of a contract. Um, so, for example, there was a marriage contract, a ketubah, with seven seals intact, discovered uh, among the Dead Sea Scrolls. Right? And, and this would make a lot of sense with the winding up scene in Revelations, which is going to be a marriage, the marriage of of uh, God and the Lamb, or, uh, of the Lamb and the Bride. Right. So, verse six. Then I saw between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders a lamb standing as if it had been slaughtered with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So horns, of course, are powers powers to act, right? And eyes are ways of perceiving, ways to obtain knowledge, right? And why seven? Of course, the spirit is the menorah, right? Uh, the seven branch. Um, so, so the lamb is the Messiah, the anointed one, anointed with the seven spirits. Remember, um, the seven spirits that Isaiah talks about and that were elaborated on through scriptural history. Verse 7. He went and took the scroll from the right hand, the one who was seated on the throne, that's the Father. Uh, and then verse 8. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. They sing a new song. The elders are going to sing for us again. They've already sung. They're going to sing again to the chorus. Right? What do they sing? Continuing on verse 9. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals. For you were slaughtered, and by your blood you ransomed for God, uh, for God saints from every tribe and language and people and nation. Now, just, just remember that in, in the... The unfolding of things, we're still in the planning phase. And so this, this really is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. They're saying it as if it's already happened. We're going to see it happen later. Right? Uh, verse 10, it continues on their song. You have made them a kingdom and priests serving our God, and they will reign on earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels surrounding the throne, and the living creatures and the elders. They numbered myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands singing with full voice, worthy is the lamb that was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all, the, all that is in them singing to the one seated on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. Well, um, to me, this is uh, this is all pre-mortal stuff. This is the way I see it, uh, and this is you can imagine. Now it's not just the twenty-four elders and the and the and the living ones, but it's all of us 
It's all of us in this, in myriad numbers of the great council saying, yes, we like this plan. This is good. He's worthy to do this. Jesus is worthy to do this, to break the seals and make the plan happen. Okay, chapter six. Then I saw the lamb break one of the seven seals and I heard one of the four living creatures call out as with the voice of thunder, come. I looked and there was a white horse. Its rider had a bow. A crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. Um, when he came, when he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature call out, "Come!" And out, and, and out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so that the people would slaughter one another. And he was given a great sword. So the first one has a bow. The second one has a sword. The first one has a crown. Right. Verse five. When he broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature call out, Come. I looked, and there was a black horse. Its rider held a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a day's pay, and three quarts of barley for a day's pay. But do not damage the olive oil and the wine. When he broke the fourth seal, and this is Jesus breaking these seals here, right? Verse 7, when I heard, when he broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature call out, Come. I looked, and there was a pale green horse. Its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him, followed with him. They were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, famine, and pestilence, and by the wild animals of the earth. Okay, so we have the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Well, no. It's not the apocalypse at all. This is the perennial state of humankind, the perennial state of human society. Okay, it's just been portrayed in symbol, okay? The first writer, tyranny. How do we know that? Well, he's wearing a crown, <laughs> right? Conquering and to conquer, right? Um, and the second is war. He's a sword. He's got a sword. He's red because he's all covered in blood, right? And then there's, uh, uh, and then there's the... Um, uh, the the black horse, what does he have in his hand? His scales. Uh, and then what is he thinking, what is he going to talk about? He's talking about the price of things. So this is economic oppression, right? Uh, a quart of wheat for a day's pay, right? Uh, and the scales in his hand. This is economic oppression. And then the last one, of course, is death. It's, it says it, it's sickness and death. Pale green, because you're halfway to a corpse already, right? Um, we, we did not need to be scared of these four horsemen. They gallop among us right now, <laughs> right? Destroying hearts and souls and lives as they go every second. Right. Verse 9. When he broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slaughtered for the word of God and for the testimony they had given. They cried out with a loud voice, Sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long will it be before you judge and avenge our blood on the inhabitants of the earth? They were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number would be complete, both of their fellow servants and of their brothers and sisters, who were soon to be killed as they themselves had been killed. So, uh, again, this, this is forecasting. This is forecasting what's going to happen. Guys, you know, it's going to be really, really terrible. It's going to be really, really terrible. This is the kind of thing uh, that's going to happen to you. You're going to be murdered for, uh, for the truth's sake and, uh, and this sort of thing. Right, God. And then God, of course, they cry out, you know, uh, you know, how long, how long? And God says what he always says, don't worry, I win. Stay on my team. <laughs> right. Okay. 
so, so the constellation Ara, the constellation Ara, the altar, uh, this constellation rose low in the southern sky, and in Jewish lore, this is where Sheol was. In fact, Job had called this the chambers of the south, because it rose in the southern sky, right? And, and it was the storehouse of departed souls. There was, a, there was a goof, a storehouse of souls yet to be born. There was a storehouse of departed souls. Uh, in, in ancient cosmology, uh, the heavens were divided into 12 or more, but, but, but multiples of 12, with 12 gates for letting in whatever needed to come in, the planets, the stars, heavenly beings, the weather, right? Anything that had to come in, through the dome of the sky, had to come in through one of these 12 portals, right? And, uh, and, and this is one. The point is that the altar, the symbol, the, the, the constellation of the altar, where Sheol is, uh, um, uh, is, is symbolic in that way. That's, this is why the souls that are under the altar. There's additional symbolism, too, because uh, in the temple, what's poured at the base of the altar, kind of symbolically under the altar, what's, what's poured out there well, it's the blood of the sacrifice so so in a way the martyrs the saints the faithful that are killed for their testimony they are like the sacrificial animals they're martyrs right one further layer of just kind of symbolism jewish legend says that to be buried under the altar was salvation if you could be buried there it'd be salvation and and then that extended to the whole region around the temple mount which uh, some someday when we we all hopefully go and visit Jerusalem and and it certainly was amazing to look at I mean just a sea of graves that cover this the whole face the whole uh, face of the Mount of Olives that faces toward the Temple Mount is covered with Jewish graves I mean it's like a it's like all cement from these uh, from from these markers they wanted to be buried there because uh, to be under the altar and that was symbolically still under the altar was salvation. So there's all this, all this wealth of, uh, of symbolism there. Verse 12. When he broke the sixth seal, I looked, and there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth. The, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree drops its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll rolling itself up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the magnates and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of the one seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Well, let's be honest. Why should not a lot of people plead for the rocks to fall on them? I'm... Uh, Constantly amazed, though I probably should not be, at the human ability to commit evil, to invent evil beyond evil. Not just on a huge scale, you know, atom bombs and holocausts and things like that. Though that's impressive enough, but up close and personal. So that Joel says, uh, the prophet Yoel says, that people will be judged. Why? Because they have divided my land and cast lots for my people, and traded boys for prostitutes, and sold girls for wine, and drunk it down, right? Uh, dare, dare I even mention the, the hideous atrocities that put to shame anything, in, even in the Book of Mormon, committed by Hamas so-called freedom fighters. God save us. Well, uh, you know, we're, we're crying out, uh, uh, you know, how long, O oh Lord, and, until you redeem us, until you save us from this, uh, and I wonder, 
why God doesn't come down even now and mow us all down like so many noxious weeds. Uh, that's, that's the mystery to me. God save us not from this wrath, from his wrath, but from humankind. Well, on that cheery note, we'll pause and then we'll take up chapter seven in the next section.